I know, I know. You take PFF grades with a grain of salt. I get it. But hear him out. We're going to have on PFF senior data analyst Nick Ackridge to talk all about how they get their grades, their transparency, all that good stuff. Just hear him out on today's Daily Commanders Update for 24 October. Let's go. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to your Daily Commanders Update here on Ref the District for 24 October. I'm the Stoner. We are a proud member of the Believe Network. And we appreciate all of you who are checking in. Make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you're listening on audio, leave a rating and review. Turn on them auto downloads. Again, we appreciate everyone who does so. We've got a really cool show. Don't forget the rest of this week. Live tomorrow, Thursday, special guest, former Redskins quarterback Jason Campbell will be on the show. Friday, Daily Commanders update. Saturday, we've got your game preview for the Eagles. Let's get to today's show. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to have Nick Ackridge, who is a PFF senior data analyst. He's going to come on and he's going to talk about some fascinating stuff of how PFF works and why maybe, maybe we're not doing our job when we're looking at those PFF grades. We're being a little bit too basic. We'll get to that. We'll get to Nick here in just a second, but we got a few updates we want to bring you in terms of what's going on with the commanders today. That's why we call it the Daily Commanders Update. All right, so I guess I got to bring this up here. First thing is, there's a lot of talk. We're three and four. What do you do when you're three and four and you just you've lost two games to two of the worst teams in the NFL? You start talking about tanking. You start start talking about trading. You start talking about firing people. All that good stuff. So the big rumors out there, of course, are on Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Are they going to get extensions, re-signed? Are they going to get traded? What's going to happen with those guys? Well, first of all, kind of you should let it play out, but the trade deadline's next week. It's a week from today, 24, 30. A week from today is the trade deadline. So teams have to figure out what they're going to do after only eight weeks of the season. So that's the tricky part. But they do that so that you don't have teams uh, tanking because most teams aren't going to tank after eight games. So here's a talk from The Athletic from uh, – Ben Standig here in The Athletic. He says the commanders have not had extension negotiations with Chase Young or Montez Sweat. That's what sources are telling Ben Standig. That makes sense to me that they're not talking extension. They don't have to. They've got a lot of options. The team has a lot of options. Don't forget they can tag one of these guys. They can still trade them in the offseason. They can do sign and trades. Of course, they can trade them now before the deadline but they haven't had any extension talks, at least according to Ben Standing and The Athletic. Also, Josina Anderson is pretty plugged in with this team. She says, it is my understanding that there are several identifiable teams that have both interest in trading for commanders, defensive ends, Montez Sweat, or Chase Young, and are willing to offer either a long-term deal ahead of free agency. That's what Josina Anderson says. Josie and Anderson's pretty plugged in with the commanders. So uh, I would listen to that, but also then you come to Sam Fortier. I don't think the market for, for Chase Young or Montez Sweat will be as robust as some fans want it to be. There might not be a Bradley Chubb type offer. Why? Because as some executives have said, um, some NFC personnel executives are saying, look, these guys don't have a contract at the end of the year. Why would we trade for a guy who we might lose in free agency? And if we do, we're not going to give you a whole lot. 
So that's basically what they're saying. They said for Chase Young, his inconsistency, his injury history, they don't like that. And so why are they going to give up so much for him? You might get offers of a fourth or a fifth round pick. An absolute best is a third rounder. And again, remember, he's a first round selection for Washington. If he leaves and signs a free agent, a long-term free agent contract with somebody else, Washington gets that compensatory pick of a third round. Now, it's not good until the following year, 2025, but still, it's a third-round pick. So you're not going to let him go for anything less than a third. And with Montez, uh, somebody else, another executive, personnel executive said, some team might be aggressive and willing to give up a second-round pick for Sweat. You might consider that as well. We'll see. This is what we talk about when the team is uh, three and four and we look into Philadelphia, it's probably three and five. And then you got to go on the road for two games to New England. Then you got to go all the way out to Seattle. Nobody likes playing in Seattle. Good Lord. This is what we do this time of year, every year. And in fact, and when I say every year, I'm not kidding around. Sunday's loss against the Giants means Washington will enter the month of November without a winning record for the fifth straight year. This is from Jake Russell on Twitter. And the 23rd time in 31 years. Why do we do this to ourselves year in and year out? Slow starts are what this franchise is all about. We do it every year under Ron Rivera. He's had two and five, three and four, two and five, three and four. Those are the four seasons under Ron Rivera. He's a dead man walking. We know that. Whether or not he's going to actually make it to the end of the season, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens there. Uh, Next thing before we get to talk to Nick here real quick, uh, the snap counts. The snap counts were pretty interesting to me, and I'm going to show you here just a couple of things. First of all, Chris Rodriguez on this list here had nine offensive snaps. Um, He carried the ball seven times. So if I'm a defensive coordinator for, I don't know, Philadelphia, if I see Chris Rodriguez in the game, I pretty much know he's going to be running the ball. And, by the way, he got nine, which was... Uh, he got seven carries on those nine snaps. That's basically the same amount as Brian Robinson got. Brian Robinson got eight, and Antonio Gibson got two. Your sixth-round pick is outperforming third-round picks. Your third-round pick from last year and your third-round pick from three years ago. Wow. And people got mad at me when I called Brian Robinson a jag. Trev yelled at me and said, he got shot in the leg, stoner. Yeah, I get it, but what has he proven so far? I don't really think he's a jag. I was just kind of doing that uh, to rile up because I knew it would. But he hasn't proven anything else. He's got one 100-yard rushing game. It's just interesting that Chris Rodriguez got nine snaps and seven of those, he actually ran the ball. Quite interesting. And then let's go uh, defensively. Two things that stood out to me here defensively are the low snap counts again for Jartavius Martin, Quan Martin. And Emmanuel Forbes, each of them only got five snaps apiece on defense. Whoo, that's a little bit crazy to me. Uh, we understand their struggles, but this, this is your first and second round picks, and they're getting five snaps each. Now, Martin has replaced Jeremy Reeves on special teams, and he's doing an excellent job there. We saw him with a couple of nice tackles. So, uh, so he's doing that well, but being out on the defensive field is uh, – It's not happening for him and Forbes. But I did find it interesting. I think both of them were in on the first series. That might have been their actually 
your only playing time was on that first series. I know Quan Martin had the uh, he deflected a pass that Tyrod Taylor was trying to get um, connect to on a third down. We we're like, whoa, look at that, that's Quan Martin. And then another time, say, whoa, there's Emmanuel Forbes. You weren't expecting it. That might have been it. First series, all right, get you a little playing time. Now get your butt out. We're gonna let these other guys play. And also, look at Casey Tuhill. Casey Tuhill had ten snaps. Now, if I'm not mistaken, last week Casey Tuhill had two sacks. So you're telling me that two sacks is only good enough to get you 10 snaps the next week? I mean, he only had 20 snaps last week, uh, uh, the, the previous game against Atlanta, but he made the most of it, and he had two snacks. Two sacks. Might have had some snacks too. But to me, if a guy plays that well, You've got to reward him with more snaps. It only seems logical to me. So uh, I know if Yam's watching, Yam, shout out to you. I know you want to fire Jack Del Rio three years ago. Uh, I may be coming around to your side with Jack Del Rio. This is ridiculous with the amount of talent and the way guys play. The Cody Bartons of the world and the Kalik Hudson barely gets any snaps. How many snaps did Kalik Hudson get? Let me check real quick. How many snaps Kalik Hudson had? He had 26 snaps, 38% of the snaps on defense, Kalik Hudson, who, again, had some really good snaps against um, Atlanta the week before. All right, so that's your updates here for your Daily Commanders update, but don't go anywhere. We have got a very special guest, which is Nick Ackridge, a PFF senior data analyst who's going to help explain PFF and get us a little bit more understanding of what they do. Here's Nick. All right, happy now to be joined by PFF Senior Analyst Nick Ackridge. Nick, thank you for taking your time uh, to talk with us here at Ref the District. Yeah, no problem, man. All right, so Nick, give us just a little bit of background kind of what PFF is. It's not like you guys are new. You've been around for Mm -hmm. a long time. But what PFF is and kind of your role within PFF? Yeah, so uh, the company started, you know, collecting data and and grading players in, in 2006. So long before I was, I was around to, to help them out with it. But um, essentially it just started with a bunch of guys from the UK, believe it or not, um, oh. that had an interest in football and wanted to know more about it and started just charting plays, collecting data. Um, and they built it up enough to where that every single NFL team's a client, over a hundred FBS teams, we've got FCS teams that are clients. Um, and essentially what we're, what we're selling to them is every data point you could possibly imagine um on a football field all wrapped up into one incredible um database that you can filter out with you know the the craziest things you can think of and every snap is at the drop of a finger and you can just open up the video all 22 and they've got everything so if you want to know how a shot or a quarterback performs under shotgun on third down with three wide receivers to his left you've got all of that and you can just filter out wow. it's a pretty incredible database that they that they've built right now and, and that's why they they pay us the big bucks but um (laughs) as for me i'm just i'm a senior analyst on the data team um so what i i've I've ventured into content a little bit some people might have seen some articles that i've written in the past um ventured over into content just to kind of write and and uh, get my thoughts out but um at the heart of everything i i I collect data so saturdays and sundays i'm I'm sitting here in this office from from basically noon to midnight on both days Mm. um collecting all the data you could possibly imagine um and then throughout the week we kind of go back and review some stuff, collect some more data when we get better film. And um, yeah, that's essentially what we do. It's a data company and 
And it all starts with watching football. And then what's your connection to Washington, to the Redskins? I see you got some Redskins stuff behind yep. you and all that. What's your connection there? I was born and raised in Northern Virginia. So ah. um, I've been here my entire life. Grew up a fan of, of everything D.C. sports related. So um, for me, it was just kind of easy to use the PFF angle and start talking about hmm. Washington and, and all that sort of stuff. But I, I was a fan first before a, a PFF employee. Yeah. So who's your guy when you kind of look back? Who's your favorite Redskin player of all time? Uh, Santana Moss was up there. Um, oh, yeah. I love Santana. I love Chris Cooley. Um, those were two of my, my favorite players, Sean Taylor, obviously. Um, mm. but those are kind of the three that really, really stick out. London Fletcher was another one. Um, sure. still have his Jersey. Whenever I go back to my, to my parents' place, I have the, uh, London Fletcher Jersey sitting there. Um, I even have a Brad Johnson Jersey, which is oh, wild. Sure. Yeah. That was <laughs> so, a good yeah. year, man. When he was here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, so what is your, like, I, I don't know your age. I haven't asked your age. I'm not going to ask your age, but have <laughs> you been basically on the losing side basically your entire life? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm almost 30. Okay. I'm 29 now. Oh, I'm almost 30. Sure. Um, but yeah, I've seen nothing but losing. Um, yeah. so I was born in 94. Their last Super Bowl was 92. So I, I I've seen nothing. I've seen nothing <laughs> but loss after loss after loss. Terrible teams, uh, terrible quarterback play. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm not really sure why I'm why I'm still here. Yeah. Well, you got any hopes <laughs> for the future in terms of the organization? Rough year this year. Uh, any, I, I, th- I think so. It, it, my family has always talked about they don't really care anymore until until Snyder's uh, gone. He's finally gone. And yeah. So now we've got some some people turning back around, and it's it's kind of nice to you know have the family really kind of be interested in it. And again, it was it was just kind of me for for a while there, but. Yeah. Now we're getting some some family members back involved with it and it's it's nice. That's good. There is there's a little bit of hope. Um mm-hmm. yeah, so let's get into a little bit of PFF and there's been some healthy slash unhealthy debate via a good old Twitter about PFF and stats. And look, I'm gonna be upfront with you. First of all, I'm an old head, I'm twice your age, basically. And so what I know is basic stats. Analytics kind of elude me a little bit, but I also think that these are more important than, you know, numbers, Mm -hmm. what I see. But I understand PFF and the role that it plays and the importance of it. But the biggest thing I think in Commander's uh, Twitter or the Commander's fandom is trying to understand what the heck is going on with the sacks. Mm-hmm. and who's to blame because that's what yeah. we want to do when you're losing when you're three and four you want to blame somebody something somebody's got to take the fall and what i've seen just looking at the pff numbers are 40 sacks that they've given up and 18 of those are on the offensive line or 18 are on blocking mm-hmm. because you've got a couple of uh tight end or one tight end two running backs yeah how does one basic fan like myself how do we try to figure that out and understand how you go from 18 or of 40 or on the offensive line where the heck are all those other sacks attributed to yeah so it's never i know like you said people want they want to blame someone they want it to be either on the quarterback the offensive coordinator or the offensive line somebody the truth is it's it's everyone it's the quarterback and it's you know, with the help of analytics and, and a lot of data scientists, they've kind of really shown that sacks and pressures can really be controlled by the quarterback and by the quarterback's play, where he's, you know, situated in the pocket, how early he leaves a pocket, 
where he's scrambling to, is he scrambling to, you know, um, avoid pressure or is he scrambling to leave a clean pocket because there's, you know, good coverage downfield. There's sure. so much nuance that goes into every single dropback yeah. that when you want to just try to place blame on one individual person, it's very, very tough to do. There are a lot of plays where you can place blame solely on Sam Howell, where he is either missing someone or he's taken off and running directly into a sack. There are some plays where you can solely blame one member on the offensive line, the offensive line as a total, um, or a running back who misses assignment or something like that. There are other plays where there's pressure from other spots. He's forced to move. Then you get a cleanup sack. We're not charging anyone for a cleanup sack. So essentially what you can think of is um, someone becomes, someone comes blocked or unblocked. Howell has to, so the last play of the game, we'll say of this past okay. week, the drop. That one is an unblocked pressure because they just overloaded that one side and no one was there to block him. He escapes from that. Now, if he escapes from that and gets sacked by someone else, we're charging that as a sack, but it's not going to be on Howell. It's not going to be on any blocker. It's just going to be an unblocked cleanup sack. So okay. that's some of the um, numbers in there that you go from, you know, 18 or charge the offensive line, and then there's 40 total sacks. There's other that are just on Sam Howell, um, where he is, like I said, either leaving a clean pocket, um, you know, scrambling into pressure and, and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But there is, there's so much nuance with, with every single sack. Um, and it, it's, it, it's very tough to place blame on one individual. Can you, can you say that, are you in the camp or when, and when I say you, I mean, PFF in general, are you mm -hmm. all in the camp of sacks are a QB stat? I, I, I lean that way. Um, mm -hmm. I think, one of the biggest things you can kind of look at is is Russell Wilson um, over these past couple of years is sure. he was constantly putting pressure on his offensive line with his you know heroics that he's scrambling out of the pocket and all that sort of stuff and it looked great when it worked and it finally you know when he was young and was athletic enough to really all of that stuff worked now we see it in Denver it's not working as much he's not as quick he's not as agile to get out of that stuff so you see a lot of those bad plays now that are coming to light and you think of back of the time in Seattle where you know he put that sort of strain on the offensive line. Um, Patrick Mahomes is another example. He puts a ton of pressure on his offensive line, especially his yeah. tackles. Um, Mitchell Schwartz, who's a great follow on Twitter, former right tackle, all pro for the chiefs talked about it all the time that Mahomes is dropping back to like 11 yards, which is not normal. Usually it, it's at the maximum. It's about 10 yards from line of scrimmage where a quarterback drops back to just because it's so tough for a, a tackle to get out there, especially when you're lining your edge defenders so far wide. If yeah. the more ground they have to cover backwards, the tougher it is. And he's constantly scrambling, constantly making all these hero plays. But the difference with Mahomes is his pressure to sack ratio, the amount of pressures that he turns into sacks, is always, always at the bottom. So he's always good enough low. to, yeah, he's good enough to get away with that sort of stuff. And it's something you see in a lot of these young quarterbacks. Now I like to call it hero ball. They just mm -hmm. kind of run around back there. They they scramble forever. Um one guy that you can kind of point to that is really struggling with it or has been struggling in the past is Zach Wilson. Uh, at BYU, he was playing with essentially grown men on the offensive line, a bunch of 30-year-olds with, with kids. They had that <laughs> as their offensive line at BYU. So he's able to run around forever and do all these crazy things. And when the play breaks down, it, it looked great when you're at BYU. But in the NFL, where you're not the best athlete anymore, it's, it's very, very tough. And that's why he struggled. That's why I was a lower on him. A lot of other guys were lower on him. Um, hmm. So, yeah, it's just – it's just tough the, the the pressure these young quarterbacks put on their offensive linemen because of just how they they have grown up playing essentially. Yeah, makes sense. So taking off your PFF hat just for a second, 
Do you think this is something uh, for your team, for your favorite team, our favorite team? Is this something Sam Howell can fix before it's too late, before we got to move on to another quarterback? I hope so. I, I really, really <laughs> no, hope that's so. That's true. I was a I was a Howell fan. I, he was my he was my second quarterback coming out of the draft. Um, mm-hmm. I won't tell you my first one because that might you know discredit for. <laughs> it, right, was right. it was Desmond okay. Ritter. It was Desmond Ritter who was my quarterback know. one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was a fan of Sam Howell. I think there was just way too many questions with him coming out of college because he mm-hmm. played in such an RPO heavy offense where there wasn't very many true dropback situations where you saw him going from one to two to three in his progressions. Mm-hmm. Um, We've seen that in the NFL, that he can do that if he has time. The problem is it's just a tad slow. And if you're a tad slow in the NFL, that's when these pressures and these sacks come because, again, everybody's quicker. Everybody's more athletic. You're no longer the best athlete on the field anymore. Um, We haven't really seen someone kind of fix these sack issues. Um, I think really the only one that we're kind of looking at is is Josh Allen. I mean, Josh Allen is one of those rare quarterbacks that – he was, you know, completely inaccurate, running around forever, you know, getting mm-hmm. taking sacks. And he's the only one that's really kind of fixed it. Yeah. Um, but if you're he's an kind outlier. of relying, yeah, he is an outlier because we, we've seen it a lot with other quarterbacks and it, it just doesn't work. Um, but as a fan, I, I, I really hope he can turn around. I really wish he could turn around. I was a fan, a fan of Sam Howell. I still am. I think he's got he's got the arm talent. I just. I'm just weary of, you know, kind of going all in because the sacks are a real problem. And it's tough to turn that around, especially, you know, after him doing it in college for so long. And and we're going on like three, four years now of him doing this from college to NFL. Okay. All right. Putting the hat back on. You're putting the PFF (laughs) hat back on. Fandom out the window. Here's something that, that Commander's fans have really had trouble processing. And that is the, the ranking, the PFF ranking of the offensive line as a whole for pass blocking mm-hmm. eighth best. Yep. But then when you look at them individually and especially guys like Nick Gates, who's leading the league for centers in pressures and in sacks allowed and the other guys, you know, you can, everybody can look it up. You can see how kind of poor they are overall mm-hmm. or individually, but then somehow they're eight. So how does that kind of mesh? to an overall unit being ranked that high? The biggest thing that, that fans have to kind of look at is the amount of dropbacks they've had. And we've all known, it's mm-hmm. been a criticism of the enemy right now that they're passing the ball a ton. They just are. And you've had the same, essentially the same five offensive linemen play every single game, except for the, the previous one with, with Charles Leno going out. But right now, Nick Gates, Andrew Wiley, and Sam Cosme have the three most snaps of any offensive lineman in the NFL. They are oh, the top three right now. So when you look at those counting stats and and sacks and pressures and stuff like that, of course, it's going to be high. The more dropbacks you're going through, the more sacks, the more pressures you're going to allow. So the big thing to kind of look at is the grade first. But if you don't really agree with grading it and all that sort of stuff, that's fine. The next thing to kind of look at is pressure percentage. How often are they giving up pressures? And when you look at that, um, Mm. speaking of just Andrew Wiley and Sadiq Charles and and Charles Leno and um, Sam Cosme, they're a lot lower on the pressure percentage list than they are on the total pressures given up. Um, it's just because they've had just an extreme amount of dropbacks. I mean, if we're looking at Andrew Wiley, if we're looking at total pressures, he's given up 26 on the season. That's the eighth most of any offensive lineman in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Right above that is Andre Dillard, a tackle for the Titans. He's got 27 pressures given up. Andrew Wiley's grade is 64. 
which is right above average in pass blocking, Andre Dillard's is 45. If we look at it, it's because Andrew Wiley has played almost double the amount of snaps that Andre wow. Dillard has and has only given up one less pressure. Wow. So the thing that we have to kind of look for now is the percentage. It's not. It's no longer just counting statistics because obviously the more times you drop back, the more often you're going to give up pressures. Plus, Brilliant. if we're looking at the grades, we're grading on how quickly you win these pressures, how quickly you're beating your blocker. The faster you beat your blocker, the higher the grade. The slower you beat your blocker, the lower the grade. So that's kind of how the, the grade incorporates it. But if you don't believe in the grades, that's perfectly fine. I got no problem with people not believing in the grades. We still need to look at the other stats that we can kind of count and use that percentage to kind of see that, hey, maybe it's not as bad as what we really think. So when we look at those numbers, basically what you're saying, we look at those numbers, those rankings, those grades, if you will, mm -hmm. there's so much more within all of that that we're not looking at that's kind of skewing our view of how we're seeing these guys uh, performing. Yeah. I mean, and for years, everyone's always thought sacks, they're on the offensive line. They're always on the offensive line. And I think we've yeah. now seen firsthand that it's not truly just on the offensive line anymore. It's the quarterback has a lot to play into that. Um, and it's just, it's tough because I wrote an article talking about the whole Sam Howell sack dilemma and, and whatnot. And I broke down how many sacks Sam Howell's taken, how many the offensive line have taken, and, and then the other that we talked about before, the cleanup sacks and stuff like that. And I was saying that the offensive line, while they're not great right now, they're not playing as terribly as some people think because of those inflated numbers, because of hmm. the amount of dropbacks, um, the amount of time Sam Howell's taking those sacks himself. And then, of course, this past week, they go out and put their worst performance out there as an offensive line. <laughs> right, that so that's help, kind right. of also yeah. really kind of skewed it. You look at the game they just had and say, how the hell are they eight? Yeah. But again, we have to kind of think that it's not just a, a weekly thing. It's a yearly thing. We're looking at all seven games they've played every snap they've taken. And again, they played upwards of 300 plus snaps and we're looking at every single one of those snaps. Yeah, this is fantastic. This is exactly why I think it's so important of you doing what you're doing now is coming on with us. And I know you, you talk to all kinds of pods and everything about, mm -hmm. about these things so that we can understand us, yeah. us fans who don't really dig the numbers as much as we should. We understand a whole lot better of how, how this all works out. Cause I'll be honest, here's what I think. Or here's what I've always thought. There's a guy like you, let's just say Nick, he's sitting in his office like you're doing. You're watching mm -hmm. the game afterwards, the All-22, and you're grading. And, you know, the kids come in, and maybe not in your case. You know, kids come in and dogs come in, and you miss a couple of plays, and you just kind of write down a number. You sort of pencil whip it because you got to mm -hmm. get it out by a certain time. And it sort of right. concerns the average fan to think that, how again, how is it that Andrew Wiley has such a good grade. I'll say decent grade. Mm -hmm. And yet Sam Howell's on his back 40 times. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's really important of you doing what you're doing and your colleagues do what you do and try to be as transparent as possible with this. It's people also don't really understand kind of the whole process. And, and I think we need to do a better job of kind of getting that out to the public, but also we really can't because, you know, all NFL teams are clients and the NFL is very strict with what they allow and what they, mm. they don't allow. For example, I'm not allowed to post any All-22. I can't post any broadcast film because I work essentially alongside the NFL teams. And they're very, very secretive. For whatever reason, they're sure. very secretive about what they let out. So there's a lot of stuff that we can't really explain over Twitter and all that sort of stuff. But 
I will say that the, those sort of examples happen where like, you know, someone like I have two dogs, they come in, they're going crazy. They distract me and I get through a game quicker than I think. Sometimes I'll go back and check it. Sometimes I don't, but that's why we have a review process in place. We have, it's no, it's never just one person grading a game. It's never nice. just one person grading a play. Everything is reviewed by people who have been doing analysis for years and years and years. Um, former coaches, former players, uh, all that sort of stuff. We have these review things in place and we will have plays where it's just a meaningless game. You know, there's a, it's a 14 point game with like three minutes left and we'll spend 25 minutes discussing one play because a tackle might have lost or missed an assignment, stuff like that. Mm. So there are review systems in place so that it's not just one guy looking at anything. A lot yeah, of people man. think that because I'm the commanders fan and I, I tweet out the commander stuff that I do all the grades. It's not true. Every, you don't do I, I, grades. I, I've done, I do some of them, but it's a kind of a randomized schedule. So sometimes I'll get a commander's game. Sometimes I'll get a, a Panthers game or something like that. Yeah. But there's other people reviewing it. That is a consistent review process every single week. And it's the reason we don't release grades and stats until noon the next day. We're doing them live. We get the film later that night. We review it essentially overnight. People are working overnight to review those, those grades. We're asking questions to former coaches, former players. They give us their input. We go back in, change the grades, release them at noon. Yeah, I was actually going to kind of give as a suggestion, but obviously you can't do what I'm about to suggest, is that if you had the all 22, and let's just say you're doing uh, Andrew White, or you're doing a game or whatever, I don't know how you guys do it if you do players, if you do the entire game, offense, whatever, but if you had the all 22, and then after each play, you you showed – what grade you gave each player or however you did that. But mm -hmm. I understand it's not possible. And I wish I could be, do it. Uh, I've been trying to, I've been trying to convince people to do that, but again, like they're that, secretive. Yeah. I can't even post all 22 anymore. I can talk about other people's all 22. They posted, but I can't right. post it myself. I've gotten in trouble with that before. I can't do it anymore. I wish I yeah. could explain it. Um, but that's what, <laughs> that's what these conversations are for. Like you said, it, it's, Absolutely. it's a lot easier for me to explain it face to face sort of than it is to use, hundred something characters on a tweet. I, I find myself yeah. trying to limit those as much as possible. And it, it's, it's, it's very tough to do. It's very tough to change people's mind on that incredible app we call Twitter. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, totally understand. Um, just kind of one more question, I think. Um, again, this is me as an older guy and very basic thinking when I watch football, but um, should it be that, for example, if I'm watching a play where it's one-on-one -on -one of Charles Leno against uh, Dexter Lawrence in this last week's game, and let's say they go up against each other 10 times, mm -hmm. and I give – PFF gives a grade to Charles Leno of a 75. Does that mean Dexter Lawrence should have a grade of 25? If I'm just doing those 10 plays – and I'm doing those two guys one-on-one. -on -one. Let's, let's say it's even training camp, and they're having those one-on-one -on -one drills, and they do it 10 times in a row. Should mm -hmm. it be, is it too simple to look at it and say, Charles, if Charles Leno gets 20, 75, then Dexter Lawrence should get a 25? It's not, it's not as simple as that, um, but we are grading blockers on a straight-up win-loss sort of thing. If you... If you lose a rep as a defender, you're getting a zero. If you win a rep as an uh, offensive lineman, you're getting a zero. So the way that makes sense is it's a sort of um, offensive lineman. If you're getting a zero, it, it turns into a positive grade when we look at the zero to 100 grades. 
if you're not if you're getting a zero as a defender, it turns into essentially a negative. When you, the more positives you stack up as a defender, the more negatives you stack up as an offensive lineman is when your grade starts to go up and down. It's the only way we can really do it because we can't really grade, you know, we can't give, give positive grades out for, you know, just, just making your block on offense. We do on the, in the run game, but it's tougher to do in offense because you're just kind of backpedaling and, and accepting getting hit essentially. Yeah. So it's tougher to do it that way. And that's when I think people kind of, you know, look at the zero to 100 grades and don't really understand how that's possible. It's it, and that's I've always kind of said that if you can see our, our you know, play by play individual grades that we're giving out, you know, where you can, like I said, filter every minus one we've given to Charles Leno or every mm-hmm. plus one we've given to Dexter Lawrence. If you can see those sort of things, you'd be like, OK, yeah, that makes sense. It's tougher because, again, we can't make those public because it, it's for the NFL teams. Um, yeah. But I've always said that if, if people could see that, there's a lot less that they would kind of disagree on. Um, where we kind of get into a gray area is where we turn those pluses and negatives into a zero to 100 grade. And that's when you kind of have people questioning, well, can you really turn something that's subjective into an objective number? It's, mm-hmm. it's tough for people to kind of wrap their heads around that. And for me, I'll never, you know, disagree with that. Like, I think if that's where you are, it, you, you feel that way, that's perfectly understandable. Um, but again, when it comes down to it, we're just, we're just watching film. I mean, it, right. when it comes down at the end of it, we're watching film. We're grading it just like anybody else would ever grade it. Um, and we just have a lot more people and have a, a, you know, a solid process going right now. And we've got the NFL and college football's trust. <laughs> that's right. That, that, and that's the important part. They're the ones that's paying your paycheck. That's right. Or, mm-hmm. or PFS paycheck. So that's who you have to appease, but yeah, I totally get it. And, and Nick, you've been uh, really good about coming on here and explaining this stuff and, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation if Washington was five and two, but because they're three and four yeah. and they're losing to bad teams, <laughs> we're, we're frustrated and we're just, we're lashing out. And, yeah. and I do appreciate uh, following you on Twitter that uh, it's uh, at PFF underscore Nick Ackridge. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, and following you is that you don't take the bait of people who are trying to just completely discredit pff or what you guys do I've done so. i've done that in the past I've yeah the you've past. learned I've, your lesson right i've been i've been posting these grades for like probably three to four years now so i've learned yeah. to i've learned who to not engage with um, yeah. my favorite thing in the world is like you said after a win the the same people that absolutely hate pff are the first ones retweet the grades saying That's oh right. my god chase young did this jonathan <laughs> allen did this the second we lose it's like are you sure about this? This is completely wrong. This is why PFF sucks. No one trusts them. Yeah. You, you yeah. guys are nerds and all that sort of stuff. So Great. yeah, no, trust me. I a hundred percent understand. It's I, I kind of just, I take all the backlash after a loss, just lay it on me, go to the mentions. It's a, it's a crap shoot in there sometimes, but after wins, that's when you get, that's when you get the fun stuff. Well, yeah. That's what I always say is that I don't reference PFF unless it bolsters my argument. And then otherwise, <laughs> that's how everybody, that's how everybody uses PFF. <laughs> I mean, it's like people tweet it all the time. I said, I love, they love PFF when they agree with it. They hate it when they disagree with it. So yeah. Hey, they're still talking about us. So that's that that, that, that matters. All right, Nick, thanks for joining us here in ref the district. Uh, Appreciate your time. You can follow him. Like you said on uh, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it uh, at PFF underscore Nick Ackridge. That's Nick Ackridge, a PFF senior data analyst Mm -hmm. on ref the district. And until next time, be a fan. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.